Good evening and welcome to Slamming the Owl, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie. Patriots Against CPS Corruption invites you to attend our March for Texas Children. DFPS has failed the families of Texas. The Texas Special Committee on DFPS has also failed to hear the parents and the children. Time to make our voices heard. Surround yourself with those on the same mission as you. Join us on the March for our children September 21st, 2022, starting at 1 p.m. at 701 West 51st Street, Austin, Texas, 78751. I have my return guest. I have George Roche from Toronto, Canada back on. He was last on the show season three, episode 68 and season three, episode 76. We have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about shame, abandonment, and emotional issues. And I welcome you to the show. George, how are you? Oh, you know, I've never been busier. I'm great. I've slept well. I'm eating good. Yeah, but it's been busy. We're living in a crazy world, aren't we? I mean, yes. Things are really upside down, we were saying prior mm-hmm. to going uh, on recording. Uh, people have a lot to be concerned about right now. The family unit is breaking down, the medical system is collapsing. We have many institutions that are supposed to be supporting citizens who are collapsing, such as the educational system. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, uh, I don't trust the judgment of our school boards uh, in this environment right now. And I don't think parents should even consider putting their children in school, especially given the mask mandates that they are now going to perpetuate Mm-hmm. Uh, on our on our kids and people don't seem to realize um, yeah, how ineffective and how abusive and damaging psychologically damaging mm-hmm. to children putting a muzzle on kids are when especially those with learning disabilities or people in spectrum, spectrum of autism or Asperger's syndrome th- this th- these children need to see the mirroring faces Mm-hmm. And when part of that face is covered up, the neurological cues that actually send information to a child are denied them. And this arrests their development, which, in my opinion, is a deliberate motivation because everybody that's seen in a mask right now is thought of a, as a, a compliant person who agrees with the, these narratives that are going on, which are actually mercilessly dividing families mm-hmm. due to conflict because that mask is a visual instrument. You can see it and people develop perceptions about that. And the other thing is it inhibits communication. Definitely. So, so, so nothing can be, nothing good can come of masking our greatest natural resource and they're defenseless. You know, I, I, they, they don't know how to stand up for themselves. They don't even know what's going on. They just know what's happening to them. You see, mm-hmm. this is the problem. These divis- divisive strategies and the teachers that are, are supporting this all need to be held accountable, in my opinion, because they are further alienating children, not just from themselves, but pr- from their futures. Mm-hmm. This thing goes well beyond any virus they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Not that... Not that the efficacy of masks has ever been proven. Um, surgeons and doctors use them in operating rooms to prevent saliva uh, from entering open wounds. That's that that that's the best case we can make for masks. 
mm-hmm. but to suggest that they stop viruses is absolutely foolish and scientifically not supported. Yeah, I agree. It, this is, we've got people over here, some of them still walking around with masks on. It's like, why? <laughs> it makes no sense. I see people no. on bicycles, in cars, like actually wearing masks where they weren't even legislated to be worn. I mean, this is absurd mm-hmm. that people have put their own spin on it, mm-hmm. even. Right. Uh, deciding, uh, adding to the unlawful rule book, as it were. Uh, because, you know, all too often people think they're, you know, I'm a good person. I'm mm-hmm. going to be a good person and wear my mask like a dutiful, compliant citizen, never asking any questions, never doing any research about, as I say, the efficacies of these masks and whether or not they actually prevent disease. That's never been proven. Mm-hmm. Uh, D- Denny Rancourt from the Ontario Civil Liberties Association, who I've mentioned many times, I've read his work. He's put out all kinds of studies. There is no lack of awake psychologists trying to get us to understand uh, the uselessness of these masks. Mm -hmm. And with school heading back now, you've seen the advertisements coming out from even the universities, Toronto, uh, sorry, Western University. Uh, Lisa Bildy, the lawyer there, has just launched on Western University. The president boasting $28 million in funding coming from where Brock University is the same thing. So we're seeing the same sales pitch go on again, where these schools are funded. They're given money Mm -hmm. to cooperate with the narrative. Here's your incentive marketing campaign. Just tell us how you intend to enforce uh, these again, uh, unscientifically backed measures. So, so we're just repeating the same garbage we've seen for the past over two years now where Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, people are like, well, you're going to kill everybody. We're going to teach kill kids that they, they can kill people, that, that, that somebody else will become sick of them. That's never been true. There's no right. data to support that that has been true. But the notion of teaching children that by not wearing their masks, you're going to kill grandma is definitely mm. implanting an early form of psychosis in these children. It's projection. And these are all ignorant people who've never asked the right questions, who've never done the right research. I'm certain that they have not consulted experts. I see all kinds of comments from layman people on the different social medias who haven't got a clue what they're talking about, but they act like they have the 411. They are to be be believed, okay? Mm -hmm. I mean, this this is absolute abuse going on, and people are doing this in the name of safety, in the name of health, what is actually... The government, uh, 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 the government's effort to make everybody dependent upon them, so they can dictate every aspect of your lives. And we've seen the tiptoe. So, hey, uh, there's no conspiracies anymore. We don't see that anymore. We're seeing a bunch of people who are just fed up, and mm-hmm. now they're talking about more jabs and more boosters. You see, you you the old adage: if you give them an inch, they take a mile. Oh, and yes. I, I, I've said before, uh, if you comply with one step, they're going to expect you to comply with the next steps. They know that they've got you. They know that you're, you're going to cooperate. And those masks are an inventory item. Everybody mm-hmm. wearing them, people can visually see that these people are scared. Mm-hmm. They're fear billboards. Wearing a mask oh, yes. is a fear billboard all day long. And very shaming. This is very mm-hmm. shaming. 
I mean, any I've got a lot of reports from parents with their kids. You know, their parents won't let their children talk to your children because your children don't wear a mask. <laughs> or they're not jabbed. See, this is all divisive. And another form of alienation. I mean, I said before, I think, that we're experiencing alienation on such a grand scale like never before. We thought we had alienation before the, the Rona came along. And now we have a, even a larger excuse to further alienate children because of a disease. It was already bad enough that we're going to get alienated because of a, a bad parent, let's say, or a parent who's being mm-hmm. targeted by mm-hmm. a narcissist or a borderline, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, kids in their hands under this climate is as dangerous, I think, in my opinion, as any weapon that could be used to injure a child's psyche. Yeah, I agree. It's it's also, you know, like you said, they, these kids need to see each other's faces in the classroom. You know, these are their friends. Right. Uh, and they need that. Um well, let's, um, you know, maybe because we, we talked off camera and I said, you know, we should delve into this master emotion of shame because this actually defines the way every single person who is enforcing this garbage feels. Mm-hmm. This is what they're dealing with. So when we have that person in the grocery store saying, where's your mask? Here's what they feel. When we have that supervisor at work saying, you can't come to work without your mask or where's your jab? Where's your proof of your jab? Mm-hmm. And asking all these questions that shame the person because a person feels a sense of shame when they're being asked for personal information that they don't wish to divulge and they're made to feel guilty around it. And there's all kinds of because remember, shame is about being, guilt is about doing. A guilty person says, What I did was no good. A shame based person says, I am no good. Mm. A guilty person says, What I did was wrong. A shame-based person says, I am wrong. So you see the distinction is more personalized on the shame side of the continuum than the guilt. So guilt is about doing what I did was no good. Shame is about being, I am no good. So Mm -hmm. we want to understand categorically how shame and guilt function in similar way, but they are separate in terms of the impact they have on a person's psyche and what a person is motivated to do in those two emotional states. So when we have these teachers imposing the masks, cooperating with the mandate, we have the principals who are imposing this on the teachers or the supervisor and managers at these corporations or dad or mom in the family. Remember, we're seeing all hierarchies of madness Mm -hmm. going on right now. So, so, you know, dad can get mad at anyone mom can get mad at anyone but dad right down to the little one who tortures gerbils or something right and don't right. get me wrong i hate animals i love animals but i hate shaming uh well, where else do we see that well you know the teacher can get, can get mad at anyone in the classroom uh uh, uh but the principal you see mm-hmm. and the principal can get mad at anyone they want but right down to the people who tortures a classroom or interrupts it you see please excuse me hierarchies of madness okay the principal can get mad at anyone the teacher can get mad at anyone but the principal right down to the people i say who interrupts the classroom okay and take that process i just mentioned it's a hierarchy of madness Mm 
It's patriarchalism. In a world of deep democracy, shaming is strictly prohibited. However, all of the conduct coming from these leaders at the institutional levels, whether that's, you know, the medical system, the educational system, municipal, provincial, or federal government systems, are all shame-based. I want to get that really clear. They're all in the same boat, playing different roles, but all speaking the same language of toxic shame which you know and the parenting rules uh, i've talked about before are abusive and shaming clearly um they they work to destroy the self-esteem of a child who becomes more compliant rather than asking questions Mm -hmm. which results in shame when when someone's feeling flawed and defective it's because something has been done to them to hurt their shame so if you look at the work of of uh gershon kaufman who's i i think incredible where he writes a sickness of soul shame is sickness of the soul it is the most poignant experience of the self by the self watch this whether felt in humiliation or cowardice or in a sense of failure to cope successfully with challenge you see i said before kids aren't allowed to know their what's going on you see uh, mm-hmm. they can't confront it. They don't have the words. They don't have the skills. We as adults need to, who are aware of this, step in and defend and protect the self-esteem, the budding self-esteem of our children. And the younger they are when this is going on, the worse it is because they're training them at a younger age, you see? Mm-hmm. So they adopt this garbage, this toxic shame. So they can't challenge a person who feels flawed, defective, and and uh, uh, compliant and inferior to the superior, superiors can't mm-hmm. challenge. How many people have called me and said, just before I walk in the grocery store, I feel like this anxiety coming on because they know what to expect. Mm-hmm. They know what's coming in the next 20 or 40 steps, you know, to the right. door. So shame is a wound felt deep from inside, dividing us both from ourselves and from one another. And there's the goal. How is that consistent? That's consistent with every strategic approach the government makes to divide us. Mm-hmm. They've made divorce easy, uh, conflicting families. You know, the moment he wants the mask on the daughter or the, or the daughter wants the, oh, sorry, the mother wants the, the mask or what have you. Either way, I'm getting both of them. Uh, the relationship's over. Mm-hmm. Dividing us both from ourselves and from one another because they feel that, automatic sense of shame that this is inconsistent with human toxic shame so and because of this this creates the disturbing states that a person continues throughout life with and they're very disturbing because they deny full human life and anything that does is on its face disturbing so depression alienation self-doubt isolating loneliness Paranoid and schizoid phenomena, compulsive disorders, splitting of the self, perfectionism, borderline conditions, and disorders of narcissism all result from shame. It's mm-hmm. a kind of self-murder, mm-hmm. in other words. So internalized shame is characterized by a kind of psychic numbing. person no longer feels what they feel because they're so ashamed to feel anything is shame-bound. It's like, you know, I'm bound for floor. Florida, but my anger is bound for shame. 
My sadness is bound for shame. So what do you do with your anger and your sadness? You bite the bullet. You bury it, but albeit alive. It's mm-hmm. coming back. It's coming back because all these children being treated like this will have it all to pay back to society down the road, like a oh. slingshot elastic band, you know, is going to snap back into place. At some point, it's going to it's going to happen. So the psychic numbness becomes a kind of foundation for a kind of living death. The person is no longer growing. They're stagnating. So they can't be fully functioning. They can't contribute to the way they typically would because this flawed sense, this flawed, unlovable, insignificant, unimportant self that's been de-selfed through these behaviors, the way they've been treated and spoken to and the expectations that are grossly unrealistic all result in a person feeling ashamed because they can't measure up to them. They can't quite get it quite, uh, they can't get it quite right. So with, with this, you got to remember that shame is forged in the matrix of source relationships. I said before, the parental alienation doesn't start in adulthood. It starts mm-hmm. in family. So forged in the matrix of source relationships, it conditions every other subsequent relationship and continues to do, destroy self-esteem throughout the person's life because they keep recycling the same scenarios relationally. You attract what you are, who you are. I mean, shame-based people don't hang around hockey players. They don't play by the same set of rules. Mm-hmm. And I exclude from that the non-shame-based hockey players, <laughs> of course. Yeah. So, so, so if we understand this master emotion of shame, we understand the fuel behind alienation. It's very shaming. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to talk about it. They don't want to delve into any concrete, specific, or behavioral detail about the visit Susie had with dad. Mm-hmm. Susie mm-hmm. comes home from dad's place. All she wants to do is be in her room alone. What happened at dad's place? When Susie left mom's place, she was fine and she was happy. Or vice versa. Mom, Susie's at mom's place. What happened over there? How were they spoken to? What did they say about dad? Or what did they say about mom? Et cetera. Again, I play this both ways. I'm not, you know, no one's, you know, either side is not greater than their batter. They're all contributing to this to some Mm -hmm. degree on both sides of the continuum. This Mm -hmm. is abandonment. Mm -hmm. Let's make this clear. Parental alienation is a severe form of abandonment where the parents impart children a role in the conflict that should be isolated and kept between the parents. Right. But it's not. This is dyadic mm-hmm. enmeshment. I said before, the most dangerous place for a child is the unlived lives of their parents in that environment. Okay? That's the most dangerous place. Because the parents are going to set the children up to be the carriers of a disease that they have unknowingly internalized from their families. They continue to parent themselves with these dysfunctional, abusive rules that also continue to destroy the self-esteem of their children as their self-esteem was dist- uh, was destroyed. So it's revisited upon the children. The parents continue to parent themselves with these rules. The children adopt these rules as if they are normal. Okay, because a lot of people mm-hmm. thought what the rules that what you grow up with you think is normal, it's all you know. So right. if children mm-hmm. aren't taught to question and update and critically question and update these rules, then they basically suck it up. They just take it on and carry it on forward as if it's n- normal. So parents who normalize these rules, these dysfunctional rules that destroy self-esteem are shame-based completely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you go to talk about the content of their shame, well, their wounded child inside doesn't want to talk to you about that because 
that means they have to expose the parent. And no parent or no child wants to expose their parents. They are shielded, you see, mm-hmm. because they know that their survival would be threatened. If people are still behaving this way as an adult, they're actually still a child. They're still using childhood belief systems to navigate adult situations. That that has disastrous consequences. Yes, yes, it does. At, 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 at every at every level. So shame through abandonment. Um, you know, I've said many times, even in my work, that you know shame uh, through and it has varying varying degrees of abandonment. Most people um, understand abandonment in a physical sense. They left me. Mm-hmm. Okay, but there's actually nine and sometimes more different types of abandonment. So the first one is by actually leaving them. So that, of course, is shaming. But it's more crazy-making to be abandoned in the presence of someone you depend on for love than it is for them not being there at all, you see? Mm -hmm. So being in the presence of somebody with whom you depend on for love, who's shaming you, through abandonment, either through this, you know, silent treatment, or they're not responding to your needs, or they don't take mm-hmm. you seriously. They give you the feelings that you don't matter. You're unlovable. You're insignificant. You're unimportant. The child develops a sense of unflawed and defective. There must be something gravely wrong with me. If they're not interested in meeting my needs and taking my feelings seriously, there's got to be something really messed up about me. The child says, and even though they may not put that into words. There's an emotional expression. There's emotional communication that we can determine. Children develop what's called dysthemic disorder over mm-hmm. over years. Now, a lot of times, ch- psychologists and well-meaning therapists may not diagnose the presence of dysthemic disorder in their children, oftentimes locating it in the um, uh, uh, puberty phases of development. However, However, we know that children at a very young age who are non-logical, they don't have all the words, the vocabulary to articulate what they're trying to tell us. So it comes out in other ways. And such as dysthemic disorder is low-grade chronic depression where there's apathy, apathetic, listless, not energetic, not doing well in school. These are all the indicators that something is terribly wrong in a child's environment. And parents generally don't know how to detect any of that. So this you know, impels them toward the therapist's office who hopefully can help these this family among a growth process they may have unknowingly begun. But few parents are thrilled about the idea of delving into their abusive environments, their shame or, or any of the other, you know, toxic upbringing. So they never get to work on this stuff, and hence this has denied the children the experience of knowing how to navigate these dangerous, damaging, and destructive waters. So... When we talk of abandonment, we've got to really understand that that abandonment isn't just about physically leaving a child. It's also failing to model adult emotions. The adult must model the emotions for a child. How do you know what an emotion is unless somebody names it for you? You don't know what one is. So if parents are out of touch with their own emotions, that's going to be revisited on the child who may develop a lack of of expression a, a reduced range in the expression of emotions a lack of affect this mm-hmm. is very very damaging because we need that information to understand how to approach people you know there's only one emotion we can see from a mile away that we know we can name and that's happiness a smile but everything else is going on on the inside you see so we have to know how to name those uh, neurological cues emotional cues as well as you know happiness
right? Which we can see mm -hmm. from or far away. If that person's laughing or they're smiling, and we can readily believe they're happy, okay? Mm -hmm. And maybe some people fake it too. We don't want to deny that. So when a parent doesn't model their emotions for children, that in and of itself is the onset of alienation because they're teaching the child to alienate themselves from their feelings. And then they're going to expect others to follow suit. In fact, they will attract others like-minded because that's family you're familiar this is mm -hmm. the way we operate in my family i attract those kinds of people the other way that children are abandoned is by failing to provide for their developmental dependency needs a child is needy by nature not by choice that mm -hmm. means that they have to depend on someone to get their needs met they can't get them met by themselves so this is very interesting now the adult parent that doesn't meet their child's needs is needy not by nature, but because he or she did not get their developmental dependency needs met, that they were abandoned in childhood just the same. So whatever is visited on that parent that has not been resolved or addressed properly is going to be revisited on their own offspring. Hereby bringing forward, of course, the multi-generational patterning, the multi-generational uh, 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 pattern of of abandonment that that can go on for decades because of the no talk rule um and that remains entrenched in this family system this is the way we do things here you see and mm -hmm. you'll see a lot of the kids that come out of these kinds of families bearing all similar traits they may be using different addictions to navigate the shameful painful walls uh one, one gets addicted to alcohol another one gets addicted to reading maybe somebody's addicted to food or sex or whatever the mm -hmm. case is whatever the distraction is that takes somebody out of the emotion because shame is a very painful emotion you want you want to medicate it or remedy it as quickly as possible you want out of that pain as quickly as possible mm -hmm. so this is not about a parent who's looking out for their child's needs this is about a parent who's looking to get out of their own shame-based pain because their children are going to trigger those needs, as I said before. Every time when the parent goes through their phases, as the child enters toddler, if the parent was wounded in toddler, the wounds of that adult, that parent's toddler, is going to show up in their children. That's no accident. That's patternistic. We, we, know, we know that when parents abuse their children, that the wounded child inside them is acting out, reliving govern scenes and doing to the children exactly what was done to them mm -hmm. perhaps because of the sound a child made or the behavior a child did it's all in there cybernetically it's all imprinted in your brain so whatever is not consciously remembered is acted out thus indirectly discovered so therein lies the basis for why parents treat their children the way they were treated because the moment that child of the parent behaves in any way that resembles the way the parent was uh, behaved and was treated guides the response it's all they know so this is very interesting this multi-generational patterning of of this abuse neglect and, and alienation that that has taken on pervasively so another way that children are abused uh severely is by physically sexually and emotionally and spiritually abusing them now, and listen i say it's all emotional abuse i said this before it's all emotional abuse. You can't be sexually or physically abused without being emotionally abused. You cannot be spiritually or morally abused without you being emotionally abused. There's going to continue to be this emotional component, you see? Mm -hmm. So we've got to take very 
strong notice of that. By using their children to take care of their own unmet dependency needs. Here is role reversal. One of the great ways the kids get abandoned is by setting the child up to be the other, to be the spouse the family is missing. So we have a lot of multi-generational, oh sorry, cross-generational bonding going on where mom and dad have an unintimate relationship. There's, they're conflictual. There's addiction going on. There's abandonment. There's time spent away from the relationship. They come home late from work because they're busy trying to create intensity outside of the home. So since a family needs a marriage in order to function, when the parents are, again, unintimate, intellectual or again addicted to something on the outside again trying to create intensity the children are not getting their needs met because the, ch the parents are busy trying to conceal their own toxic shame and there's all kinds of strategies like minimizing and theorizing and analyzing and dissociation mm -hmm. and stay busy and distracted all the time so you can't get feedback from your family uh, obviously that is not a healthy way to relate to the family but again shame is so painful you got to do this stuff you got to get that pain out of you and here's a way to medicate and maintain or at least temporarily remove yourself from the pain that is getting in the way of you being a good uh, parent or dealing with your own history so that's why we've said many times before if a person doesn't know their own history they can only be doomed to repeating it right oh. so yeah. so a, a, a terrible way that kids are abandoned is when they're they're their dependency needs are not properly cared for. So that is very important to think about. Meeting needs is what makes people feel satisfied in any relationship, whether that's parent to child, adult to adult, friend to friend, whatever. If somebody meets your needs and treats you like a real human being, you want that person around you. Mm -hmm. um, so now the other one here that really angers me a lot is when parents conflict and then, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. Kids get sucked into solving the problems within their parents' marriage. Because why, why do they do that? Because their survival is threatened. When they see that the architects of the family, not that a child would know to call them that, but when, the, when children start to feel that sense of insecurity, that mom and dad aren't getting along, it's not going good for me here, okay? They start to feel as though their survival is threatened. What's going to happen to me? So how does a child mitigate that situation? They get in there to try to fix the parent's marriage. This is almost automatic. Nature abhors a vacuum, as Bowen said. When the, when the laws of homeostasis and discipline and, uh, and, and love in the family go out of balance, children get sucked in to taking care of their parents' reckless marriages as mm -hmm. a way to protect their own survival. Amazing. The kids mm -hmm. will... But the child doesn't realize, and the parents aren't going to affirm this, the child is losing their reality. They're losing their childhood to this, this dysfunctional marriage. What, what should be models and available leaders to the children are now becoming a source of frustration and fear and neglect for the children. Mm -hmm. Evidently, that's not healthy for children. Um, mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that go on in alienating families and very very common secrecy mm -hmm. i always tell people you are as sick as your secrets and 
when you're denying and hiding your shame-based secrets to the outside world so that the children have to protect them or shield you, these covert issues, in order to keep the family in balance, they actually have the opposite effect. It throws the family even more out of balance. So, for instance, kids can get in trouble to school, mm-hmm. you know, and do things at school, which is an expression of the relationship they have at home and what's happening. They're acting out in other places. So here we have, you know, mom and dad, well, here's a way for them to take a bit of a reprieve from having to worry about the shame and look at the shame in their marriage. Johnny is messing up at school. Here's another distraction. Here's a way to get attention to take the heat off the marriage. You see, mm-hmm. this is this is extremely irresponsible for parents to behave in such a way as to expect a child who is dependent upon them to learn these skills conflict resolution communication emotional expression skills and conflict resolution skills but the parents can't possibly deliver any of that because their own developmental uh, issues from their childhood which has them in arrest are again in these scenarios being revisited on their own offspring and they don't bother to critically question and update their files i think it goes without saying that parents are reference librarians we don't know everything no one's going to do this job perfectly it's too damn difficult but these people aren't even there they're 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 not not even remotely there okay so and then you know when you don't give children see relationships require time attention and direction now of course if two people here are divorcing and they're they're upset or separating and they're going through custody battles and all this certainly children not getting that quality time attention and direction because when you're going to court and you're having to pay lawyers it's frustrating oh, yeah. that's why i say don't take children into a court battle you you they will have it all to pay back to their own relationships in society down the road you're setting up a predictable way forward for these children so it's very very dangerous to mm-hmm. to do this and then that time att- and by the way time attention and direction is required by all relationships but children especially are dependent upon seeing this their their real selves true true selves mirrored back to them but not for codependent wounded parents who are fighting in court and trying to get even with each other kids are abandoned in those scenarios and then of course you know the last one i'll go through is by acting shameless that we don't make mistakes we don't have guilt we don't have needs um uh you know we we don't have problems to work on we just we're just perfect see this is act shameless and act like nothing's wrong. The children know. They know what's going on. The jig is up. But parents walk around acting as if there's no big deal, nothing to see here. But the kids know through the whispering walls there are serious problems. Mm-hmm. Now, all of this is emotional abuse. All of it. Mm-hmm. And... You know, it doesn't look like we have a lot of time left, but I can go through, and I will actually, maybe we should, maybe I should isolate. That's a lot for the people to go through. The the shame, uh, you know, the sickness of the soul, and mm-hmm. then, of course, the nine abandonments. There's a lot of work there for people to think about, and hopefully the listeners will, you know, get something out of this episode because, again, the abandonment is what we need to look at when there's alienation going on. How are the children being abandoned? This inventory needs to be taken, but parents don't have this this mindset, this presence mm-hmm. of mind 
says, you know what? I got to take a look at how Susie and Johnny and Denise are doing today. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been fighting with my ex in court. I got to go and check, kind of check in with them and say, hey, guys, how are you feeling today? How are things going? How is school? Get it, like, talk to your children. Mm-hmm. You know, really affirm them because when kids are going through alienation and and you know from people that they depend on for love they need affirmation they Mm -hmm. need mirroring they need to know that it's not their fault they've done nothing wrong they're not the reason for the breakup all too often kids feel responsibility for the condition of families especially the sensitive ones so i really think parents need to get into tune in tune with this attuned to uh, their children, you know, uh, Carl Rogers did a great uh, work, a great work on active and passive listening. You know what I hear you saying, Jack is right. Mm-hmm. If people would get into that and and really be respectful, uh, especially in times of breakup, like let the kids have a life of their own. Stop dragging the kids into your mess. You right. Know? Learn exactly. to be good people listeners. Learn to be a good mm-hmm. listener. Absolutely, it's extremely damaging. This triangulation, you know, is strangulation. That's what you're strangling their futures and putting a noose around their necks by involving them in what they're not developed sufficiently to handle emotionally. And don't you think this would also uh, create more, I would say, I don't know, narcissists or sociopaths? It's the onset of it. I mentioned already that part of the organizing principle for shame is narcissism. Mm-hmm. Remember, Alice Miller's work, her organizing principle is narcissism. When I loved her books, you know, Thou Shall Not Be Aware, The Hidden Cruelties in Child Rearing and the Roots of Violence for Your Own Good, Pictures of Childhood. These are brilliant, brilliant works. What's enjoyable about John Bradshaw's work is he incorporated narcissism in his shame organizing principles because shame is a master emotion. And toxic shame results from narcissistic supplies being denied children. Mm-hmm. Here's the onset of narcissism, right? Remember where narcissism comes from. Every baby needs a face that loves him or her unconditionally, that all parts of you are mirrored back to you through the mm-hmm. mothering or fathering caregiving sources. And when that's not the case, that part of you that's disapproved of splits off and becomes numb to ego defenses. So if a, a child is angry, you say, what's the matter with you? Why, what, you know, what's there to be angry about? You're, there's something wrong with you. Right away, the child gets a message that my anger is no good. Mm. There's a problem with my anger. It needs to be gotten rid of. And now every time that child is angry, it's cloaked in ego defenses. I'm not angry as they're obviously stomping around the room. Right. Right. Yes. You see, <laughs> I mean, it's evident this child God. is pissed off and the parents are like, what's the problem? So, you know, af- affirming and mirroring is such an important uh, parental responsibility. And it actually doing so makes parenting easier. You know, there's a lot of nature here that people try to impose their wills on that alienates kids all by themselves. And again, this is why I say alienation starts in childhood, not in the adult environment. It's brought forward inappropriately to the adult environment. But these little examples that occur in childhood, these little wounds, we call them wounds, right? They grow to be big balls mm-hmm. 
of of wounds. And then the catolamines, the pain-mediating cells in the brain, begin to cluster through all of these events. You see, this is what contributes to dysthemic disorder. And the hypothalamus shrinks because of the abuse. Well, it's under strain, right? Your frontal lobes mm-hmm. are your seat of behavioral change. How is a child going to dis- d- d- mitigate change or, or implore change without leadership and modeling? So your hypothalamus is under arrest. It's taken siege in all of this pain. This is why mm-hmm. I say the catolamines, the, the pain-mediating cells in the brain begin to cluster. So you have all the surge of anger and energy because the person has never gotten that energy out because mm-hmm. when you bury emotions to, in, in childhood, you bury them alive. You're going to take them out on the psychological stage of life decades later. People are going to go, where is this anger coming from? Or you're going to rely on displacement where mm-hmm. you, you dump your angers and people don't even know why you're angry. You're dumping anger and spewing it all over the place. They're like, Who, what's wrong? You grow up and get married to somebody and you're dumping all their junk on, on them and they're confused because they don't realize that they are a safe substitute, that all the anger that was forbidden in its expression to a child will be buried, albeit alive, and carried forward, and all it needs is a similar scenario or situation to be reignited. Mm -hmm. And then you have rage, and you have all this narcissistic rage going on, which is a direct consequence of burying the anger, the life-protective anger of a child, life-denying anger uh, of a child, uh, in the adult environment. I'm sorry, excuse me, I misspoke. A child buries life-giving anger denied them in childhood, is my point. And I, I said the, the wrong word. It's hippocampus that sh- shrinks. Or hippocampus, that's correct. Yeah, you got me going the sorry wrong Sorry about line. that. That's right, the hippocampus. <laughs> correct, because they're all partners. You see, a child's personality and the energy of personality needs to be distributed among all the brain partners equally and you know you can develop obsessive compulsive disorder as well when this polarization Mm -hmm. of brain functions takes place we've seen this on diagrams quite a bit Um, i've studied a lot about that personality disorders such as bpd narcissism obsessive compulsive disorder antisocial schizoid phenomena all of those things are are consistent with trauma in early childhood oh i i agree with that and you know it's a sad state of affairs these these people don't go to get help because they don't know how to handle this anyway and they think it's normal and they figure they can handle it this is this is true because you see children need to be taught that one of the greatest acts of human behavior is to seek out help you know a healthy shame is to know that we'll make mistakes to know that we can and we will do so throughout life and that we're nobody's perfect and they don't play God. This is this is the issue. But parents who state in godlike fashion what is right and what is wrong and what is acceptable in this house and blah blah blah. When you see that kind of authoritarianism going on, of course a child is going to bite the bullet and bury their anger because they're getting the message that your emotions are forbidden. The forbidden anger and its expression, as I said before, is what sets a child up for later life and using the defense of displacement where they use their spouse or a friend or somebody, a coworker as a safe substitute to stand in to get all the anger that was really intended for a violating caregiver, but they give it to other innocent chumps who had nothing to do with the situation, confusing everybody uh, uh, daily uh, with their problematic, unresolved personal issues. 
well said, well said. You know, so that, that way, if you wonder why you have a nasty boss at work, now you may know why and how that evolved. Find out his relationship with his mother or his father. I mean, there's something going on there. I mean, listen, God, I hate to say this, but I guess I should. I mean, there comes a point where it's so cyclic, so cyclic rather, that you can't help but identify it. It's so obvious you got to be living under a rock to deny the existence of this. See, I believe that this is what the courts do. They've been through so many of these scenarios. Don't tell us you don't know. Don't tell us that parental alienation doesn't exist. There's only 16 billion cases of it around the world going on, and everyone's going, what are you talking about, parental alienation? You know, that there's no evidence of this. There's no, it's junk science. It's not junk science. The reality is kids get alienated, and that has a long-term, if not lifelong, standing impact in a child's life. It will dictate many things, partner of choice, job, uh, ability to thrive and survive in life, all of this stuff. It will dictate whether or not they get married, whether they have children or they don't have children. You see, there's so many things that alienation, abandonment and abuse and toxic shame determine, predetermine in fact, the outcome of children's way forward in life. So, so. For anybody to suggest that parental alienation doesn't exist is not only absurd, I would definitely challenge them to prove how it doesn't have an impact on children's lives or the families in general. Because we're seeing a lot of this stuff go on. And I guess maybe it's courts denying it because, they will, as I said before, they want this stuff to go on, getting adversarial lawyers, pitting each other against, you know, impeding the relationship from becoming healthier because they need money. They want to economically develop themselves too. And everybody gets paid on the backs of the misfortunes of these families. It's so tragic. They know exactly what they're doing. People say judges should be educated. They already know what they're doing. Absolutely. I agree. Um, They can try to under the rug, sweep it, sweep Mm -hmm. it all they want. Uh, It's not going to work. The rules for rearing children in uh, in alienating families are absolutely abusive rules Mm -hmm. psychic damage that can be done to a child lifelong who may never recover we what we're understanding is that abuse lasts a lifetime that when a child keeps picking abusive people for part sorry the adults keep picking it's really not the adult but we'll say the adult for now but the child inside the adult continues to pick people who abuse them and they call it love that the child has in fact confused love with abuse and that's the scariest thing that I know about I think it's very scary because this recipe this template that's been handed to a child cannot be debunked in words words no matter how skilled will heal that child from the split uh, from which they suffer they've got to be in therapy, they've got to go back and reparent this child and do what's called original pain work. You see, I said before, and I'm going to say it again, parental alienation does not start in the adult environment. you got to get it, folks. It doesn't start there. It's brought forward from previous experiences. And many of the spouses I've talked to and worked with, they don't even know what their spouses were like back then. They, they, they've never delved into it, right? Mm-hmm. So a good predictor of what you can expect from a person with whom you're with is their childhood how were they raised how were they spoken to 
How were they? How were their emotions regarded? W- were they allowed to express anger? Was life orchestrated so that child was able to be who they are? Because I've, I've said before that in dysfunctional families, um, they orchestrate life, or sorry, in functional families, they orchestrate life so that you get to grow up to be who you are. The, mm-hmm. you, the way you are is okay here. You're all of you is welcome here. In a dysfunctional family, they tell you how you should, ought, and must be. <laughs> you see? So dictating how a person is raised or, you know, we, we've always valued, you know, children do what they're told. So they're good children. We, we've got to stop this old junk from coming to the surface and teaching people that doing what they're told is valuable. As a matter of fact, one of the, I can't remember the name of the psychologist, but it points out that we're not concerned about people being um, obedient. What we're looking at, what we want to know is that children are willing to be disobedient because they're fighting for their psychological lives. Disobedient children are not all messed up. There is a reason for why their loyalty to their nature, they, they may not even know why, but their reason for why they're so loyal to nature is natural. I mean, there's an oxymoron yeah. for you, right? You know, <laughs> it's a natural consequence, but parents are going to shame it because it's defiance. A child says no. A child expresses anger. Got to kill it. Kill that anger. Get rid of that anger. They don't realize that anger and love come from the same wellsprings of the human being and anger is about stored up hurt so if somebody's angry we need to find out why are they angry and deal with the hurt this is what you what gets rid of the anger just simply forbidding it doesn't rid anyone of the problem including the child so you see this doing what we're told you stop that crying i'll give you something to cry about you know right goes on i mean how how many people have heard that one Mm -hmm. you know so so we got to understand that there's a, there's grave danger in these abandonment principles and in the toxic shame that divides us from ourselves, from one another, as Kaufman points out, that they're very disturbing states, whether felt in the cowardice to cope successfully with challenge or a change or confront things in a family. And what's one of the dysfunctional family rules is you can't question the rules. If you can't question the rules, there's no way out. Very sad, very sad. You know, so when people see people are, say you're 26, 28 years old, and you are, you've met a spouse or going to marry someone, and you do ask about the childhood, and they do tell you some weird things, and those are like red flags. But when you're naive, you don't grasp it. Then you marry well, this person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's when you find out they got stuff to deal with baggage. We call this baggage, right? Yeah. This is what people call baggage. Let's break that baggage down. I say to people that everybody's got stuff to deal with, no matter who you are, okay? The best chance you have of finding a truly loving relationship is to be with somebody who, like you, has issues to some degree, but is willing to do the hard work necessary to resolve them because that's how you grow. Remember the purpose of a truly loving relationship is to heal childhood abandonment issues. That's what true love is. It's like, let's find out what the wounds are. Like how many people get their helmets and boots on and say, let's go for a journey through childhood. <laughs> Very few people are interested in, de- in delving into that. You see, mm-hmm. this is, 
This is the this is the problem. So I, I can certainly say that those who are not thrilled at delving into their histories are also those doomed and willing to repeat them. And they which do. is mediocrity, which is mm-hmm. mediocrity. They're living a life of mediocrity, which is the second phase of the disease of codependency. Jeez. Yeah, it's very sad. Well, I don't want to keep you all afternoon. <laughs> um, That's okay. I'd like to have you back on again. No problem. Anytime. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, let me know when I'm free. It's really busy. I'm very busy these days. It's just ridiculous how many it, yeah. cases and families breaking up and oh, geez, mm-hmm. kids squabbles. We're trying to keep people out of court, so we're 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 doing a lot of work and and helping families uh, navigate oh, that's these good. issues. And, and if we can keep them out of court and build agreements on the exterior that they can have notarized and move them forward, that's one way. That's one value we can def- definitely offer. Canadian Rights Watch can definitely help families to stay out of court and forge an agreement and deal with their issues behind the scenes so they don't only drain their, their they pre- can prevent themselves rather from draining their bank accounts, oh. but also draining their own emotions mm-hmm. and bringing more frustration into their children's lives. We want to maximize the time. I mean, uh, people don't get to do this life twice. You know, it's not a dress rehearsal, right, folks? You, mm-hmm. you want to do your best to be amicable, responsible. And if there are issues, we can show you how to work them out. Oh, that's excellent. Uh, how can people reach you? Do you want, want me to put what was in the last podcast notes into this one? Sure. I mean, it's CRW underscore rights media on Twitter. You can get us on Facebook and Instagram at Canadian Rights Watch. Our Telegram official page is Canadian Rights Watch. Um, if you want to get to me about any concerns that you would like to have addressed or you want to set up an appointment to work with us, no problem. You can get us at media at Canadian ianrightwatch.com or change media to ea at canadianrightswatch.com and also find us on the web www.canadianrightswatch.com well there's various ways to get us that's excellent thank you so very much uh don't jump off. <laughs> Slam the gallows yeah. of podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I am your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here with George Roche from Toronto, Canada. And I am so glad you came on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Thank you very much, Marianne. Take care. Okay. You too.